Hallelujah to your Lord God. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Praise God. You can be seated. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Sandy, glad you're here. You made it. You made it. Praise God. I, um, how many of you really, truly, deep down in your heart, by not showing your hands, enjoyed jammy church? Come on. You enjoyed jammy church. You know what that is? You just woke up Sunday morning, stayed in your jammies, and there you go. You, you're there, right? So you had church that way. But uh, So next Sunday, if you want, no, I'm kidding. It, it's not going to be Jammy Sunday in the house of God, not, not in the least. Uh, I, I'm glad that you're here, and uh, we just, I really felt like it was time for us to just start, start by starting. I know it's awkward. Let's just face it. It's all awkward, isn't it? Yeah, it feels that way, right? Um, that having been said, God is still the same God. And I really, I really was asking the Lord, Lord, what do, I, what do I share? You know, in that first Sunday back, I mean, I've been preaching, and obviously, hopefully you've been accessing those videos from time to time. I have accessed other videos from time to time as well. And uh, I have been fed by other pastors, and uh, I do have to do that anyway on a regular basis, whether it's through study and reading and uh, various things like that, but we have been blessed. I've been blessed by ministries that operate and are around the country. And uh, I, I want us to pray before I even start this message today. I want us to pray that the Lord will somehow bring this all to a quick end. And by that, I simply mean normalcy and bringing us back to a sense of normalcy whereby the fear of what was pumped into our homes and our heads and our brains over the last however long. And you say, Pastor, I see things that are fearful. I do too. There's no, no doubt about it. But the Bible lets us know that we have something to be able to help us over that fear and through that fear. And so uh, I want us to pray. Before we do anything else, we're also going to pray for Jean. Uh, Bautista, pray that the Lord would touch her. She wanted to be here, but she she is she is struggling uh, physically, and uh, just those are a lot of steps to have to deal with for her. And so we understand that. So I want I let her know we would pray for her. So we're going to do that as well. But I want us just to pray right now that the Lord would help us as a church, help us as a body, Heavenly Father. We are grateful today for your strength. I am thankful today for the people of God. I am thankful for their faithfulness over these last 14 months. I am grateful, Lord, as a pastor, I'm grateful for you moving upon their hearts to be faithful in every possible way that they knew they should be throughout these last number of months. And I pray, Lord, right now that you would just somehow bring the awkwardness in our society, and even here this morning in our church to an end. I pray, Lord, that the darkness that hovered over our land and over our nation, Lord, I pray that you would bring light in the midst of darkness. And Lord, I pray that you would help us as believers 
to shine that light. Help us to recognize you told your disciples that they were to be the light of the world. Not anybody else, not our politicians, not our media, not anybody, but believers, disciples of Jesus. We're to be the light that shines in the middle of darkness. And I pray right now that you would help each and every one of us, Lord. I pray that we would rise above every fear, everything, oh God, that we have heard, Lord. And I pray that you would help us, Lord, to serve you with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind. And God, today I pray that as we open up your word, I pray that you administer to us, give us strength today by the power of the Holy Spirit. And God, we're going to give you all the glory and the honor in Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen, amen. I want to go today to a passage of scripture that I certainly would not have chosen um, as sort of that first message back in person, but 1 Samuel chapter 16, I want to take you to 1 Samuel chapter 16 uh, today, and I want to just share a message today from my heart um, out of this particular passage of scripture, and I may actually be back in this uh, a little bit more next week, or maybe not. I just, I want to be open to the Lord, but I want to just share with you uh, a message entitled, Do You See What He Sees? Now, this is not Christmas time. It's not about the little Christmas carol we sing, Do You See What I See? That kind of thing. This is something a little bit different. And I think it's an interesting thing. Samuel, as a prophet, he is a very old prophet. And just to give you a little bit of background, the people of Israel had clamored for a king. Samuel came in as sort of one of the last judges of Israel, but also was a, is known as, especially to Jews, he is known as a prophet. We would see him also as a prophet, not in the same way as you would Isaiah, where we read a lot of his prophecy, but he was, he had a prophetic voice in the land. He was a leader to the people, and they weren't necessarily rejecting him. They were, in, in essence, when they clamored for a king, they were rejecting God as their king. God had said, I'm, I'm all they need. And in fact, they said, but we want to be like the other nations around us. We want, we want, they have kings. We want to have a king. Somebody who's there, and God warned them through Samuel what that king would do and how that king would operate, and no one at that moment could have predicted the tumbling effect that Saul would experience in his life, and Saul would be that king who started out well. You can read it uh, in, in your own time. You can read the first few chapters here leading up to chapter uh, really the end of chapter 15 and throughout 1 Samuel we see Saul in such a dark light in his life and, and there is this, this sense in which Saul is a, uh, he is a picture of somebody who starts out well but then ends up incredibly poorly. And we arrive at chapter 16, God has announced through Samuel in chapter 15 toward the end of that that essentially God has, actually chapter 13, he says God has rejected you and has found somebody after his own heart. And we'll get to that. We'll read that scripture toward the end. But I want to take you to chapter uh, 16 and verse 1, and I want to read down through to verse 13. And the Bible says this, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? 
since I have rejected him as king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate for yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. I want to share this message with you this morning, and it's not coming out really essentially the way that I had hoped, so that's why I may be here a couple of weeks. Because I really feel like I want to spend a little bit of time in verses, the first few verses of this. Because there is something that's going on in the heart of Samuel before we get to that important lesson that all of us, we have, we have known those couple of verses that God looks on, you know, the heart and not the outward appearance and that we as mankind, we kind of miss that, that aspect of what it's supposed to be. But in the end, we, have, we are limited in what it is that we can see about one another. In fact, we're limited about what it is that we can see throughout our society. When we come in contact with people, there are things that we do not see that, that oftentimes lie beneath the surface. And it is what we call the heart, or it can be in different places translated the mind, but it's what's on the inside. It's not what you put out in front of everybody. We'll get to that in a bit, but... I want to deal with Samuel for a little bit because Samuel is going through something. Samuel is grieving. And in these first few verses of this chapter, chapter 16, 
Notice how God speaks to him. And in fact, I don't have the scripture up on the screen, but, but the Bible says this. I'll just read verse 35. You have your Bibles open of chapter 15. The Bible says, until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again. And the Lord regretted that he had made, uh, or, though Samuel mourned for him, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. The Bible says that Samuel is in mourning. He is grieving. He is hurting. And in fact, he is grieving so much, he's not seemingly able to do anything else. See, here's the thing. What God sees is something that we need to see in these first few verses. And it is this, that God sees your sorrow and your pain, but he also sees that it's time to move on. He sees your sorrow and your pain over these last 14 months whoever would have dreamed that our world would have convulsed it's the only word i can find for it it was a convulsion that took place throughout our world but especially in this country there was this this convulsion of of all kinds of problems and issues and social concerns and racial concerns and all kinds of things that took place. And so many of us, we sat there in shock, just somehow grieving about how bad it is. Now, here's the difference. The difference is the world is still grieving. And in fact, when you look at the world and if you watch any of the news, there is no hope coming across the airwaves. There is absolutely nothing that says we believe better days are ahead. Politicians will say it, but they don't mean it. But the bottom line is, is in the end, when we get to the word of God, God had a message for Samuel. And it was this. Samuel, in verse 1, he says these words. He says, how long will you mourn for Saul? How long are you going to sit there Weeping and crying and mourning over this man that now I have rejected. I've told you, I've already revealed to you, I've got somebody else in mind. But you're sitting here and you're mourning over this man. It is time to get up and move on. I want to tell you this, that God's plan, God's plan is sure and it is true and it is right no matter what kind of problems take place. See, Saul had, Saul had disobeyed God, and in fact, he had rebelled against God. God spoke to Samuel and reminded Samuel that, that, or reminded Saul that, listen, rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. It is better to obey than sacrifice. I didn't ask you to take, bring all these, these cattle from chapter 15. I didn't ask you to bring all of the, you know, the Amalekite king and the, 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 you know, the livestock and the lambs and the, the sheep and the oxen and all of that. He goes, I, I didn't ask you to do that. I asked you to wipe them out. I asked you to, the judgment of God was upon that land, that nation. And he said, I, I asked you to deliver my judgment. And, and Saul takes matters into his own hands. And now here we are and we're grieving and Samuel's going through all of this trouble, all of this sorrow, all of this mourning. And God says... You know what? I see you right where you are, but it's time to get up. It's time to move forward. It's time to move on. 
It's time to stop talking about the past. Stop worrying about the past. It's time to stop living in your past. Yes, you anointed him as king. I told you to do so. But guess what? He didn't work out. He didn't follow after me. He didn't go after me. But now I've got somebody else in store who will do that, who will follow hard after me. And th it's time now for you to get up and move on. See, God sees your sorrow and pain. He sees it, but he doesn't want us to stay there. He tells Samuel, get up. It's time to get up out of the wallowing, out of the sorrow, out of the pain, out of the, the difficulty. And he says, it's time to now move into the next plan that I have for this country. And I want to tell you, God sees your situation where you are. He cares about it. He cares about your sorrow. He cares about your pain. But guess what? He doesn't want you to stay there. He doesn't want any of us to stay there. He wants us to get up and to be the light of the world, to show that there is a God in heaven who cares more about this world and this planet than anybody who professes that they care about it. I want to tell you that God cares about so many people all around us each and every day. And we have been, we've been this little isolated, you know, thing. I, I don't even know what to call it. We've been, we've been in isolation to a point and we've kind of kept it. We, we're still keeping our distance. We're do, still doing all those things. But in the end, I want to tell you, people still need Jesus. You see, Jesus didn't stop being necessary for people's life because a pandemic took place. Jesus didn't stop being necessary for people to hear about him just because we fear a little bit. No, Jesus is still on the throne and he is still the king of kings who will bring deliverance to people's lives who desperately need it. We're to be the light of the world. We are to be that. It's time to get up. Verse 1, he says this. He says, be on your way. Get up. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Now, earlier, I, I, it's way at the end, Jamie, chapter 13, I believe it is, verse 14. This is at the moment where God revealed to Saul your kingdom is coming to an end. He says, but now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Notice that, that he sought out a man after his own heart. Even in the New Testament, it reveals David was a man after God's own heart. We also know from reading 1st and 2nd Samuel that David was not a perfect human being. But God's plan was to have this young man anointed to be king. Now, God didn't reveal his name. I always love the fact that God didn't reveal everything about his plan to Samuel, only a part of it. And then as he got into that moment, then he revealed the rest of the plan. Kind of like Paul Harvey used to end his, his broadcast, radio broadcast years ago, and he'd say, he'd say, and now here's the rest of the story. 
This is the rest of the story. God is going to get there in, in Samuel's life, but he sends him down to Jesse. He says, I want you to go, and I want you to get down to Jesse. Now, here's the fear of Samuel. Notice, here's a prophet, a man of God who's heard from God, who Saul has respected, at least to a point. But verse 2, notice verse 2, what that says. But Samuel said... How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. He's going to kill me. How am I going to do this, Lord? Now, Samuel's an old prophet at this point. He's toward the end of his life, end of his ministry. He says, how in the world is this going to work, Lord? Saul, you know how, how volatile this guy is? He's unpredictable. And there's, what am I going to do? What am I supposed to do? I go down there and, and, you know, when a prophet traveled to a rural place to do something just to go, it was news. Twitter lit up. <laughs> it was all over Instagram. It was Samuel just went to Bethlehem. Why? And that's news. That was the news of the day. And and he said, but wait a minute, if I go down there just to anoint somebody else as king, Saul is going to end my life. I'm not interested in having Saul end my life right now. So here's what God does. I love this. This is God help masking the situation. Look at the rest of verse 2. He said, okay. He says this. Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Now, here's the thing. That wasn't the real reason why he was going, but it would be a secondary reason, and it was not an uncommon thing if there had potentially been something that took place in that town that required a sacrifice, and, and Samuel had Levitical privileges to be able to offer sacrifices and do this. You see that in chapter 15. He said, you should have waited for me. Or earlier in verse, sorry, chapter 13, you should have waited for me to offer sacrifice, Saul. Saul took it upon himself. Samuel had that right. He had that privilege. If he goes down to this rural town, offers sacrifices, no big deal. Oh, he's down there offering sacrifices. Something bad probably happened. Atonement needs to take place. That's what, that's what he's going down there for. But God masked it all because God still had a plan, and he was going to help this, this prophet through this situation. He sees your sorrow, and God is going to make a way for you to move through that difficulty and move on to that next step. Listen to this. God sees that his plan is not thwarted because of someone else's past failure. Saul failed miserably. And because of that, you can imagine Samuel saying, in his heart, I failed. I anointed him as king. Look, he's a bust. I mean, he just is not, this guy didn't work out. He's, he's rejected by God. He is, he is rejected as the king of Israel. He's just this, this man who takes matters into his own hands. He's not like the way he was when he was younger. He's older, and he thinks he's so big now, and, and God doesn't want anything to do with him. And you can imagine that somehow Samuel's sitting there, and he's mourning. He's like, oh, God, I had a part in this. This was terrible. Well, God had a part in it, too. But God had a plan. He had something to move forward. And guess what? His plan is not thwarted because Saul was an evil man. 
And I want to tell you that we have sat here over the last 14 months and many of us, honestly, we have listened to, to commenta- news commentator after news commentator talk about how evil this one was, how evil that one was, and how terrible things are this way, rather than saying, God, you have a plan. I don't care who's in the White House or who's anywhere. God still has a plan. <laughs> Can we just somehow agree that God's still in charge? Or do we somehow think that he has now taken his hands off? No, he's got a plan. It won't be thwarted. It will not be thwarted. God is in control. He is in charge. Now, here's the thing. God sees that his plan is not thwarted because of someone else's past failure. That someone else may be you. If there is anything that the enemy plays on, it is our past. I'm not worried about somebody else's past. Sometimes I I look back into my own past and think, God, how could I have been so stupid? Well, as Pastor Impaglia used to say, sin makes you stupid. Usually the stupidity was when I was sinful. That's when the stupidity happened. You, you, You somehow think then because of all of those mistakes, God cannot use you. And I want to tell you, nothing could be further from the truth. God still has a plan for his people. He still has a plan for your life. And no matter what bad decisions you make, God is in the business of picking us up, dusting us off, and telling us like that woman that was caught in the act of adultery, go and sin no more. The go indicated I am wiping out or abolishing or, or I am fulfilling the law that says you're supposed to be killed right now because I'm going to die on the cross not too long from now and that is going to take your punishment. And he says to that woman, go and sin no more. I've always wondered where, what happened to the guy because, you know, it takes two, right? So where was he? We don't know. There are all kinds of speculations, no need to, but the point is, he said to her, I'm giving you a new lease on life. You go and sin no more. You go. Just because you have failed does not mean that God does not have a plan for you. Just because you gave in in weakness in a moment does not mean that God is finished with you. No, God still has a plan and a purpose for his people, and he desires to use you. The last thing I want you to see, and this is where... I'm not sure I'll have time to get through it, but I'll do my best. God sees his next choice where no one else is looking. Jump down to verses six, or chap, uh, verse six in this chapter. Verses six and seven. So just we've seen, we know what the scene is. Samuel has arrived. They're a little worried about Samuel showing up, quite honestly. The, 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 the town leaders are a little concerned. And we don't, we're not sure why they're, they're overly concerned other than maybe his reputation. He's a prophet. Did somebody do something wrong? <laughs> you know, it was, and especially because he's showing up with a, with a, with a heifer for sacrifice. He's, did, did, did something happen in our town that we don't know about, you know, that God revealed to you? Or it could have been, well, you know, it was Samuel who had to take out King Agag when Saul didn't have the guts to do it. So that either way, it doesn't really matter. They're afraid. He says, no, I'm, I'm coming in peace. And I, the Bible says he consecrated or set apart Jesse and his seven sons. 
Samuel doesn't know what's taking place. He doesn't know that there is an eighth son. God doesn't reveal to Samuel that. He only revealed part of the story. But now here we are, verse 6. The Bible says, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. What made him think that? Well, there is a similarity, apparently, there was a similarity between Eliab and Saul in their looks. Both were seemingly tall. Saul was, the Bible reveals that he was a head above taller than everyone else. Here's Eliab, the oldest brother, standing there, seemingly put together, tall, handsome guy. This one has to be the one. But the Lord said to Samuel, important lesson, Samuel had apparently never learned this yet. We're thankful that he got to learn it because we get to learn it too. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. For I have rejected him. Please keep in mind when God says I've rejected him, it doesn't mean he's rejected him as a human being. He's rejected him as king of Israel. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. I want to tell you today that for all of us, we have, we, we, we are not omniscient. We do not know everything. That is only God. And there are things that we often make snap judgments about people based on how they come off, how they look, how they carry themselves, how they do this or that. I'm always, <clears throat> every now and then, you know, uh, it'll pop up either on YouTube or somewhere else where it's, uh, I forget what the show is called. It's America's, uh, America's Idol. That one was Simon Cowell, you know, and the, the judges for the, the contest. And, and, and it pops up as though, and I remember this one lady, I forget her name now, the one who could sing really well in Britain. Um, what was it? I think so. I can't remember. But she came on stage, and, you know, this Simon Cowell, he's kind of full of himself, but as a, as a music guy, mogul, and, and he kind of makes fun, like, oh, look at this one. They're, you know, judging a book by its cover, and all of a sudden they open their mouths to sing, and what comes out is nothing short of heavenly notes. I mean, it's just the amazing voices that they have, and the look on his face, he's shocked that it's so wonderful and so great. You see, often we make judgments based on what's on the outside, but it is actually, in fact, what's on the inside that God sees that matters the most. He says, I don't want you to consider what is on the outside. I want for you to understand I see what's on the inside, and that is what counts and matters the most. You see, God sees what we don't see. God sees what we, you and I, do not see in our situation and in our lives and in other people's lives for that matter. And guess what? No one was looking for David. Samuel wasn't looking for David. He was just looking for the next king of Israel. He thought it was going to be one of the seven. And the Bible goes on to say that all of them go by Samuel. And Samuel said, nope, not that one either. Not that one either. The first three are actually warriors. The first three are the ones, the oldest three, enlisted in Saul's army. They were part of his army, but they still didn't know. See, we don't even know. They didn't know that they were there lining up to be the potential king. Doesn't reveal that. Not yet. 
So they didn't even know this is about this. And I, Samuel gets to the end of it and says, wait a minute. Now, God, you spoke to me and said, one of this house is going to have a king in it. Not one of these guys. Don't you have any other sons? Now, get this. Think of, of what it is. Can you imagine? Oh, yeah, we've got one more. What kind of parents are you? I mean, Jesse, come on. Is that really, you think so lowly of your son David that you, he's out, he's tending the sheep. Somebody's got to do it. <coughs> well, he could have had somebody do it for him and had all of his sons. What was it about David that he, I don't know what it was. We have no idea. We don't even really truly know how old he was. Some think as young as 11. Some think maybe in his teen years, you know, very much into maybe the middle teen years that he is there. And, and I don't know if he just thought, you know, this kid's going to embarrass me. We've got the prophet, you know, throughout Israel coming. Uh, let's leave the kid out. He can tend the sheep. Let's put the big strong men out there so that, you know, they can really, you know, Samuel can, can see them. And Samuel says, go get him. There's one more. Go get him. And at that moment, God still hadn't revealed to Samuel what God saw in David. Now, remember, Samuel spoke to Saul and said, God has taken the kingdom from you, and he has sought out somebody who is better, a man after his own heart. Could it possibly be that this little shepherd out there would be the one who would have a heart after God? It seems as though that was going to be the case. He stands and they bring him in. He's been out in the field. And this boy is handsome too. The Bible says he had handsome features. So here we have an outward appearance going again. But now God speaks to him and says, He's the guy. I see not what's on the outside. I see there's something on the inside. I don't know if David had at this point been penning some of those psalms. Maybe it was Jesse was like, you know, I don't want him to pull out his harp again. Yeah, you know, he's going to want to sing for Samuel. It can be so embarrassing when company comes over. You know, he's still learning. I don't know what was going on and why he left him out in the field. But Samuel sees him and God speaks immediately and says, this is the young man. This is the one. This is where I've been looking. I have been looking for somebody who would shepherd my people Israel. Oftentimes in, in the eastern times, in eastern places, kings were known as shepherds of the people. And it's ironic that the shepherd was out shepherding, doing his thing. And God says, that's the one I need. That's the one I want. I want to tell you, don't, don't stop doing what God has given you to do. And at that right moment, God will move in and help you and strengthen you to be all that he desires for you to be. God, you are not obscure to God. We might be obscure to people. We might have a difficult time finding out you know, having our name known to anybody. But I want to tell you that God sees exactly where you are. Then the verse 12 says this. Then the Lord said to him, rise up, rise and anoint him. This is the one. Verse 13. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. From that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Listen to this. He anointed him in the presence of his brothers. We don't know. We don't know what was in the heart 
of Eliab. Remember Eliab, the oldest brother? The guy who Samuel says, surely this is the guy. I mean, he's got it together. He's, he's a big deal. He's taller than everybody else. He's like Saul in that regard. He's, he's, king, he's king material. He's the one. Do you know the next time, the, the only time Eliab gets a speaking part in the Bible is chapter 17, verse 28. In fact, I'm going to read it. We get a glimpse that God was right. What was in his heart was nothing short of being a critical brother. Now, he had been present. He had seen David be anointed as king. You would think, wow, my little brother, he's, one day he's going to be king. But no, he doesn't do that. Verse 28, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. <laughs> this is his only chance. His only chance to say something. And he's, he is a critical, angry man. Do you think somehow that God would choose that? See, it's revealed in that moment that God was 100% right because what was really in this heart was not something that God could work with. What was in the heart of David was something that God could work with, and that's what First and Second Samuel, the rest of those books, are all about. Eventually, uh, David becoming king over all of Israel, and then, yes, he fell into sin. He did some things that he shouldn't have done, but at every point, there was that, that brokenness in his heart. God, restore your spirit. The Bible says here in verse 13 that the the Spirit of God came upon him and did not leave him. The next verse actually says the Spirit of God left Saul. It's as if God says, no longer is Saul my one, but David is my chosen one. He's the one that I've seen. He's the one that I'm going to use. And in the end, we find here that David is the absolute opposite of what his brother in anger says he is. He is a man after God's own heart. No, he doesn't have a wicked heart. Eliab, you're wrong. You're a bitter man. You're an angry man. And that is not something that God wants to use or can use. He can only use that individual whose heart is soft and pliable before him. And that's exactly what David was. David, being a man after God's own heart, as I said it before, and I'll say it one last time, does not mean that David was a perfect man. We know that he wasn't. We know that David had shortcomings. But God used David, and in fact, he is testified about by Jesus himself that he is a man after God's own heart. Jesus came from the house and the line of David. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he is forever reigning. As God promised to David, he said, there will never cease to be a king on the throne from your line, from your house. And Jesus is that final king. I want to tell you that God sees you right now where you're at. He sees your difficulty. He sees your struggle. Let's stand together.